I know we're here celebrating, and I'm going to be doing a lot more of that tomorrow morning here at the church. And if you don't have a home church that you need to be at, then come back tomorrow because we're going to be celebrating as uh, they continue their month. I said, nothing like having to follow Jerry Seville. You know, I said, really, Mary Jean, did you have to have me in the week after Jerry Savelle, you know? But, yes, we're family. We're family coming in. But I have, I do feel like part of the fabric of this church, and I feel like you all are kissing cousins, and it's fun to come and catch up. Um, But we're also celebrating. Steve and I are also celebrating up there in New England because as of July 18th this year, um, many of you know the dream that we stepped into five years ago of overseeing a place of prayer in New England, a 35-year-old dream uh, well, the first step of fruition came to pass this summer on July 18th when the sanctuary became completely paid off. So just very excited about that. It's been like a huge, just, I mean, I've wept, I've laughed, I've, I've just been overwhelmed at the goodness of God. And, and part of that overwhelming uh, was not just the sanctuary itself being paid off. It was just that it represented such promise. You know, um, when we stepped into the sanctuary and we had nothing but $2,000 in our pocket and it already was designated toward the printing of a book and God said it's time to, to do this vision that you've had in your heart for 35 years, um, you know, we just it just looked so impossible. And, uh, and yet God just kept giving us the motivation to go. And he gave us some very specific words. And, and I told Mary Jean, during that season and time, we didn't live literally by bread alone. We lived by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He, he just kept leading us and guiding us in step. And during that time, he said to me, um, you know, that you'll, you, you, well, we went, you know, let me back up this much to say that when it came time to actually go to the bank, you know, uh, and begin to, you know, qualify for a loan on the property. We had, we had by that time fundraised about $150,000. God had spoken to me and said, can you not believe that after 35 years at the time in full-time ministry, you don't know a thousand people or 500 people who would believe me for a thousand dollars? And then all of a sudden we had a price because we didn't know. We were driving around with a realtor all over New England. She'd say to us, well, where is this place of prayer? And we'd say, it's in New England. And she said, well, that's a pretty big space. Uh, have you narrowed it down at all? And we said, well, we just know it's in New England. And then she said, well, how much money do you have to spend? And we'd say, well, we don't know. Okay, um, what does it look like? Is it a retreat center? Is it a home? Is it? And we'd say, we're not sure. <laughs> you know, God told us 35 years ago that you will oversee a place of prayer in New England. We had just returned from visiting Korea, seeing Prayer Mountain there with Dr. Cho. You know, and every, the largest church in the world, all of them are in Korea. Every denomination's largest church in the world is in Korea. And the similarity or the common thing with all of them is they all build places of prayer before they build their churches. So there's, Dr. Cho's place of prayer is not the only place. The Prayer Mountain's not the only place. Every church has a Prayer Mountain. And so we had just returned from visiting and seeing all these places of prayer and how they would just very diligently rise up or, you know, what we call like, you know, is God up at 530 in the morning, you know, to meet for prayer. And uh, we just had the Lord speak to us. You know, we said, we need a place like this in New England. And he said to us, yeah, and you're going to do it. We're like, really? And so then, you know, God gave my husband a vision in 1978. Uh, It was a 
a vision of New England coming alive with fire. And most of you know that, you know, New England's been called the frozen chosen and all those kind of terms. And it's just not been as prolific with Bible influence as the South has been. And so it's been a very dark area. But when we married in 1978, we used to travel back and forth across New England because my family lived in upstate New York and my husband's family lived in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. So we would go back and forth through New England, just fell in love with New England, but we could minister at every church that would have preachers like us in seven days. I mean, we could cover all of New England's churches, you know, just one a night for seven days. And now it is just prolific with churches, just too many to even number, and the light is getting so bright in New England. It's so exciting. But, but back then, when it was so dark, uh, the Lord gave my husband a vision one night looking out over the ocean and the boats that were just coming on, the lights in the harbor. And he said, that's the way it will be for New England. Lights will begin to come until so, till soon it will be a blaze of light. And in the next great awakening, my people will need a place to rest and to pray, to hear from God, and then return to do the work of the ministry. So we held that vision. It was part of the fabric of who we were. And when he spoke that to us, we thought we'd be doing it any time now. We were 35 years old, 33 years old. You know, we thought this is to be a great time. We've got this energy. We've got this faith. And we're going to build a place of prayer. But the Lord Cliff spoke very clearly to us. Before you establish a place of prayer, you must first establish a place for prayer in the hearts of people. Because I can tell you back then that when you called a prayer meeting, people stayed away by the droves. They would come to revival meetings. They would come to healing meetings. They would come to teaching meetings, but prophecy meetings, but not prayer meetings. You'd have the same three people show up every time. So we spent those years uh, developing that place of prayer in the hearts of people through ministry, but we also did a daily television program into New England with Vicki Jameson. And every day we came into the homes of people and we knelt down. I still remember the coffee table. It was a big square coffee table we had in the, in the middle of the set. And we would kneel down and they'd have to take the cameras off of us because none of us could get up very well until, you know, without pressing our hand down on it afterwards. But we would just bring the presence of God into homes all over New England. And when the Lord released us in 1984 to go to New England, he said, it's time for you to go to New England. People already knew our faces. They already there was a love in their hearts because we'd spent time with them, you know, just preaching the word. You know, before that, Vicki Jameson used to travel to New England and hold huge crusades and have a 1,000 or 2,000 born again in a healing meeting. You know, when you've seen blind eyes open and a child that could never walk run the aisles and, you know, limbs grow out, I mean, you, you, you're ready to meet Jesus. And she would do the altar call and call for people to come to Christ, and a 1,000 people would stand up, and she'd make them all sit down. Because she didn't think they understood. I mean, it wasn't like the Bible Belt. It wasn't like where people had heard the gospel. And then she'd ask the altar. She'd say, I don't think you understand. And she'd give the altar call again. And the same thousand people would stand up. Because they were Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and, and Episcopalians and Catholics. And they loved God. But they'd never given their hearts to Jesus. And so we'd have all these big harvest times up there. But then the people would call the office the next week and say, now, when you were in New England last week, you healed me in my left leg, but now I've got this pain in my back. And they didn't know the word. They didn't have any concept of trusting God or believing God. And so when we moved there in 1984, we knew strategically that we were going to help sow the word into New England. And so in those early years, we went from church to church, helping them establish places of prayers. The home church that God led us to in New England before 
uh, we left again. We had, we had developed 110 prayer groups in that church, all based on the passion that they had inside. You know, we said people don't like to come and sit and pray about things they're not interested in. It's just true. You know, if you have no heart for the government and politics, then to go sit in a political prayer meeting is kind of boring to you, right? But if you've got a heart for kids and school and education, that's your passion, you'll just pray your heart out for it. So we, we developed prayer groups based on passion. And we called it soaking the foundation of the church. Every department of the church, every area of the church got prayer. But it was from people that had a passion for it. And so suddenly, here we are in New England, and we feel like we're just sowing into where our vision is and what we're doing in New England. And suddenly, the Lord says, just I'm changing your assignment now. I have need of you. And 48 hours later, we got a call from Pastor Bob Nichols in Fort Worth, Texas, asking if we could come and help him. Well, as newlyweds, we had gone to Pastor Bob Nichols in 1978 and said, you know, my husband always felt like he was supposed to help a man of God. So he went to him and said, could I help? I attended church there. So he came alongside and said, could I help you in any way? And he said, well, we just bought a big building, and we've got enough staff, and we can't really use anything right now. But 20 years later, he called for help. And my husband went on staff at Calvary Cathedral to help with their prayer ministry. They had a 24-7 place of prayer that they had birthed in revival. And, oh, what a training ground that was. But we thought we'd be down there helping him for a couple of years. Because here we felt this call to New England, and yet after 16 years, we were still in Fort Worth, Texas, thinking, what happened to our vision? What happened to our call? Have you ever felt like that? You know, you're sowing, and you're giving to other people's vision, and other people's call, and you just wonder, when, when's it my turn? When's it my turn for vision? So I hope that in what I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to just touch upon some of those things that have become so real to us in our journey to the sanctuary, which is our journey to a vision. I'm going to share with you a very condensed story today, but I hope that you'll go on either arboministries.org or you can go on Amazon. I think on Amazon it's maybe $1.99 on arboministries.org. It's free. You can download the book, The Journey to the Sanctuary, because it's not just our story. It's to feed your faith for vision. Because every one of us, a divinely implanted sense of purpose is planted in your heart, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, that nothing else will ever satisfy. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are in here today. You have a sense of purpose on the inside of you that you must fulfill to your generation. Mary Jean and I talked yesterday about the things that we know we've now fulfilled, but things that we are yet to do, that we can't give up the ghost yet. Because we haven't fulfilled all that we're to do for our generation. And when it's time, now passing a baton as far as a pastoral role, but now coming into the sage season of their lives and being able to impart wisdom and understanding from years of experience and knowledge of the word to others, it's still so much that's yet to be done. And I feel like that's what the Lord has done with us, with putting us and planting us where he has overseeing a house of prayer. Sometimes we'll have groups of younger millennials in, and, and uh, you know, they'll, I'll serve them and make them their coffee and make them their lunch and just do all this ministry to them by the hands-on things. And then we'll stop and take some time in prayer with them, and the Holy Ghost will move and preach and prophesy and pray over them and give them understanding of things that they hadn't figured out yet. And they'll look at us and say, 
oh my gosh, this was amazing. And we'll say, we do all this just to do this. Because we all have a bunch of this to do, you know. We all have a lot of, we do all this. But if you've got something that you thrive on, something that brings life to you, that just by you being able to be a river of living water that comes out of the inside of you, that you feel so full afterwards, then you can do all this just to do that. And we all have to do that in order to fulfill vision. So I've already shared a bunch of notes, so I'm just going to go back to where I wanted to get a couple points about vision. Um, because when... when uh, the Lord began to, to speak to us in uh, 1984 about praying out the plan that he had for us for a place of prayer. Um, he told us specifically to pray for a prepared place. It's interesting that in 1988, the woman who purchased, her family purchased the home we're now in, began to take it all the way down to the studs and redo the wiring, and redo the plumbing, and redo the heating, and insulate under those old pumpkin pine floors, and then put them right back in place again with the old beams, and all the character and the history of New England, and yet it was all updated in its insides. And we walked in after looking at over 300 places that needed a lot of work. We walked into this place, and it was a prepared place, and God had been so specific about things like that. And so, so as we were negotiating on the property and then later back to the bank, you know, the only way that they would loan us that final, final amount on the loan was if we were to uh, take an arm, an adjustable rate mortgage. And I'd always heard about adjustable rate mortgages and that I, I'd always been told things about them like, well, you don't want to get into that. You know, they can just up that mortgage and da-da-da-da-da. So that made me really nervous, the thought of an adjustable rate mortgage. Now, you know more about mortgages and finances. You know, you probably work with us all the time. But it was the first time we'd ever purchased property through our ministry. So it made us a little nervous. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, don't worry about it. It will be paid off in five years, which was the extent of the ARM. The, the arm was for a five-year arm. It, took, it gave us a 20-year mortgage with a five-year arm. He said, don't worry about it. He said, you're going to have seven years of plenty, seven years to pay off the sanctuary, to update all the systems. It needs a new septic system and some things still done on it. He said, you're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you'll live your 70s in plenty. Well, this year was the fifth year. And in March, that arm came due. And we had had a significant uh, gift given to the ministry that we had been holding to negotiate on this arm and believing God to have it paid off in March. But March came, and we still had our significant seed, but we didn't have anything more than that. And so it was time to renew the mortgage. And it was going to go up a point and a half, but we had this chunk that had come in. And so we went to the bank, and we negotiated, and they gave us favor. They only went up a half a point. They took our chunk. They reamortized the loan. So now our payment was even lower than it had been before. And now we were able to double up and keep amortizing on the loan. So in everything on the outside, it looked like we'd gotten a really good deal. But on the inside, way down in me, I felt a little disappointed 
because things hadn't worked out just like I thought they were going to because I thought the Lord said it would be paid off in five years. So I didn't say anything out of my mouth. One of the most important things about vision is you have to stay in agreement with the Word. When your world doesn't line up with the Word, you have to agree with the Word. So I didn't say anything out loud, but in my spirit I had felt that little tinge of disappointment, and I heard the Lord say, Barbara, the year's not over yet. Well, it was exactly the way it played out because in July, when I got a call from someone who said, how much do you owe on that mortgage? It was someone I didn't know all that well. I had not seen them in years. I first met them 45 years ago, but I had not had a lot of contact with them in those 45 years. But they were watching. Did you know that people are always watching you? Always watching. And one of the things they were watching was that we had chosen to not charge people to come to the sanctuary, that we chose to just trust God and do everything by donation. And the reason why we did that was because we're not business people, and we didn't know how to run a business. We've been in ministry for 35 years, and what we did know how to do was trust God. We never went into a place to preach and said, well, uh, we demand this much money or we have to have this or that. We would just always go in trusting God. And you know what? I think we always fared better than we were if we had just said, you know, this is what we require because sometimes when the Lord knew we needed it, we would have supernatural offerings come to us. And sometimes we'd drive 200 miles and get a $25 offering and try to get gas in the car to get home. But we trusted God through the years, and we felt like that was our armor. You know, sometimes you have to work with your own armor. Saul uh, uh, wanted to, David to put on his armor, but David said, I, I just going to take this, this little bull's eye, you know. I'm just going to take this little sling, and this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I know how to operate with. And when it comes to the things that God has shown you to do, you're going to have to operate with what you're comfortable with. You're going to have to work with God the way you know to work with him. And so... So when the Lord spoke that and when the call came and they said, well, I think I'm going to be able to help you with that. I'll be back to you in a few days. Well, two days later, we got a text and said, pray. Well, I thought to myself, somebody's gotten in there and said, no, don't do that. You know, children, bankers, CPAs, sometimes they don't advise people to give a lot of money. And so three days later, we got the call, and they said, we're going to be able to do the whole thing. And I bawled like a baby, and again, I want to tell you, it wasn't just because of the money, because $200,000 was a significant amount of money. But I was in the middle of some really, really difficult family situations that money couldn't fix. And the fact that God was fulfilling his promise meant more to me than the money. And when you're holding things in your heart that money cannot fix, and God watches over his words to perform them for you and gives you the confidence that if I can do this, don't you think I can do that? <laughs> and, if, and if I can handle this, and if I could put the, that in the heart, of someone, and if I could make the provision for this, don't you think? Don't you think? And it's like, yeah, God, we forget to think 
that you're a God with whom there's nothing impossible. I mean, when that daddy came to the Jesus and said, my little boy, ever since he's been a little boy, he's been throwing himself into the fire. He's been throwing himself into water. I don't know what to do if you can do anything. And Jesus said, if? What are you talking about? If I can do anything, if you can just believe, if you can just believe. Hallelujah. If you could just believe. Hallelujah. It's easy to have a dream. <laughs> I think it's as easy as getting pregnant, you know. I know probably some of you along the way had a hard time getting pregnant, but you know, getting, we, can, we can all end up pregnant. But to deliver, that's the thing. It's just to deliver. I mean, that's, the, that's where the work comes in, right? <laughs> and, and you know, you, everybody can have a dream. You know, it's easy to get a dream. I mean, I've got a, I got a thousand dreams. But the God dreams that he sows into your heart, that he puts into your very, the depth of your being, I, I think there's some, some significant things about them. And I, I'm going to just, uh, let's see if I can find the notes that I want to I share with you. Because there's, there's things about a vision. Number one, it's always bigger than you. You'll, you'll never be able to accomplish what God has asked you to do by yourself. Never. I mean, that's a good word for Michelle and Jack as they take the pastorship of this church. You know, you're never going to be able to do this by yourselves. Mary Jean and Jack couldn't do it by themselves. They needed all of you, and now you are in a new season, and you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And, and, and if, it, if you could, it wouldn't be a God dream because it always takes something bigger than you. And number two, it's, it's always about people. It's never just, this is my dream. Like, I want to oversee it. I know. It's always about the people that are going to be touched. It's always about the people that are going to be ministered to, the people that are going to receive as a result of you purposing to fulfill God's dream for your life. And then I think this is a good one. It has you and you don't have it. You know, when you start out, you say, I have a dream. I have this vision. I have this. I, and then all of a sudden, it has you. And it is not about... Uh, uh, what you have uh, options for. It is so much inside of you that it has you. You know it's from God. You know it's something you're supposed to do, and you're obedient to it, but it's got a hold of you. It, it's a part of you. You sleep it. You, you eat it. You dream it. You think about it. Everybody else may go home and put their head down and forget about your dream, but not you. It's just so much a part of your life. It's everything that you are. It's like being married. You know, it's, it's, it's family. It's what, you, what you're made of. And then number four is that you will be willing to sacrifice anything to make it happen. If you wait for every question to be answered before you step out, you'll never do anything. Because you'll never have all those answers. We felt so much like Abraham when he was called to a land that he didn't even know where and where. When we, we were embarrassed with the realtor. We don't know where. Just New England. But all we had was this word from God. You're going to oversee a place of prayer in New England. And you know, one day we overheard some people talking about us, ministry friends, and they said, they don't even know what they're doing. And at first it really hurt us. And then we started thinking about it. We said, we really don't. We really don't know what we're doing. But we're willing to obey God. 
And every step is a step ordered by him. And every time we saw another place, we said, no, this isn't it because. And we started to define the vision. We started saying, no, that's not what's in our heart. This isn't the way. No, we don't want to be right in the middle of the city. No, we feel like God said to people needed to come up out of the sea of humanity. So it needs to be up and out of the busyness. Stepping out of the traffic. And, you know, we're up in the mountains of New Hampshire. We're up above Lake Winnipesaukee. And it's a beautiful scenic view to look out the windows and see that water below you. But it's also up out of the sea of humanity. New England, Boston's a little like Houston, Texas when it comes to driving around. You know, there's no lull in the traffic. There's no, there's no, there's no break in the busyness of life until you come up out of it, and you can kind of cross over that New Hampshire line, all of a sudden it's just pure country. And it's like, (gasps) you know, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at God. That's what he called us to provide. Sometimes people come, and they just have to get up out of that, and they step into it. We've had people say, it's so quiet here, I have trouble sleeping. We said, well, just try it. Open the window and listen to the whistle of the trees and the birds saying, just try it. You'll like it. Be still and know that he is God. And sometimes we have to get ourselves in an environment where things are still to get us still. It takes time, doesn't it? Just in your own individual time with the Lord, you've, you've, you've had to do that. You've had to get your, your mind quiet. One day when my boys were little and we were in church and their little their little Buster Brown shoes were knocking against the pews, and they couldn't sit still. And I was just, sit still, sit still. And they just still have to wiggle. And the Lord said, you know, you're, you're so grown up now. You, you can sit still in church, but your mind's not still. You're still busy. You're making grocery lists. You're thinking about what you're going to cook when you get out of here. You're doing, you know, because our minds are like the undisciplined children we're raising, you know? But they can't sit still, but our minds don't sit still. And so we have, to, we have to draw our minds. We have to draw our thoughts. It says just pull every thought, lead every thought. They don't come just because they should. You have to take hold of your thoughts and lead them in subjection to Christ. You have to tell your mind, you will have the mind of Christ. You will think God thoughts. You will think on the pure and the lovely and the things of good report right now when you're facing all these difficulties. You're going to set yourself above, not beneath. Amen? Where God is working all things together. And he's working it for good because you know him. You love him. You're called according to his purpose. He's working it all out. He's working it all out. Your daddy's working. Many times as the little children, they don't know anything about what daddy does all day long. They're saying, where's daddy? Where's daddy? Daddy's working. Daddy's working. But where's daddy? He works so you can have this nice house to live in and food on the table tonight. They don't understand. All they know is daddy's working. You go in, you say, what's your daddy? Where's your daddy? Daddy, my daddy's working. I've learned to just tell people, my daddy's working. My daddy's working. I don't know how it's all going to work. I don't know how it's all, but it's working. I know he's working. I know he's working because he's given us promises. And he said, I I will watch over them and perform them if you will just believe. We got enough just to believe. Why would we want to get our hands in all these things? But we do. We try to handle everything. And 
I can remember one time I fell into a fetal position early in ministry before my husband on the floor, and I had just come from one meeting on my way to the other, two small children. I was just overwhelmed, and I said, I just can't handle all this. And my husband just looked at me like, you set your own schedule. Like, what do you want me to do, Barbara? You do this to yourself. And you know, here I am at 68, and I still have to say that sometimes. You know, I I create my own schedule. I book the people in. So when I get it too tight or too much going on, I just have to remind myself, Daddy's working. I don't have to make this all work. You know, he's working. He's all the while working. Your greatest enemies will be the voices within telling you to play it safe. You remember Mark 5 where the woman with the issue of blood took that risk of faith to get out into the public in the crowd and feel her way through to touch the hem of Jesus' garment? Nobody had ever touched the hem of Jesus' garment and been healed before. That was her instruction. That was her prompting. You know, the Hebrews 11, men and women of faith, they didn't even have the Holy Spirit in them. They just would have him come upon them, but they would be prompted by and, and moved by and, and given unction by the Holy Spirit. And with no visible sign, Noah built an ark. There'd never even been rain. But he felt prompted and he obeyed. And this little woman with the issue of blood, and Jesus turned to her and said, hey, You've taken a risk of faith. This is a message. You've taken a risk of faith, and your faith has made you whole. But it's a risk. It's a risk to step out and obey God. It's a risk to do the thing. It's a risk to tell someone, I have this dream. I believe God wants me to do this. Oh, it's, a, it's putting yourself on the line because, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if it is? What if it is until you get your words to line up with God's dream in you and begin to speak it and declare it, And decree it, there's nobody to watch over it and perform it. And you just hold it in your heart. And you've heard the stories that I've heard. The greatest dreams that ever lived have been buried alive. They're in the graveyards, buried with people who never dared to take a risk of faith. That never dared to step out and do something with what they were holding on the inside of them. They they talk themselves out of it. you you got to break the sound barrier. I asked Jonathan to play this short clip for you. I think this exemplifies so very well what all of us go through as we break that barrier. It had never been done before, but think of how many times since that sound barrier was broken with Chuck Yeager that men and women have broken the sound barrier over and over again. It's like the guy that ran the four-mile race or the four-minute race. Once somebody broke the barrier, once somebody got beyond, I'm telling you what, I don't care what the LGDP community says. I don't care what the politics are saying. I don't care what the atheists are saying. God's revival is going to touch the earth in astronomical proportions, and we're going to see God just invade the earth with his power. We're going to see miracles and signs and wonders. And they're going to break every barrier. They're going to break. God is about to break barriers. He's about to break barriers, and you're going to be involved in it. This is the era of the signs and wonders and miracles, and we're just going to be in awe. We're going to stand back in awe, going, We did it! We did it! Chuck Yeager was the only one in the airplane. He was hanging on for dear life. Can you imagine having that kind of shaking? Do you feel that kind of shaking sometimes when you step out to obey God? And to do what he's asked you to do? Well, I feel the shaking sometimes. But you know what? When you start breaking barriers 
and you start getting beyond yourself and you start trusting in God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, you'll break through those barriers. Rick Renner said, you get to the point of no return. I have a son who's a pilot. He says, mom, that's when you're out over the ocean and you don't have enough gas to get back. You only have enough gas to get forward. And it's through in our lives sometimes. You know what? You don't have any gas to go backward. You don't have any gas to go into your past and try to fix everything from your past. All you have is momentum now to go forward, to keep doing what you know to do. If you haven't fulfilled your dream yet, it's not too late. Lester Summerall was 80 when God came to him and said, I want you to buy jumbo jets and fill them with supplies and go into disaster areas. You know what he said to God? God, you need a younger man. And you know what God said to him? Lester, you're just now where I can use you. You're just now at 80. Have the character that I can use you, that you're not doing this for your own self. You're not doing it to, you know, to somehow make a name for yourself or somehow get some accolades. You've got the character now where you just obey God and do what he asks you to do, and you'll sow that seed into the nations of the earth to be there in the midst of disasters. Dr. Cho, a young man, some of you young people here today, he was living in a cardboard box. And yet, the destiny in him was to be the pastor of the largest church in the world. And he lived in a cardboard box. His first faith project was to believe for a bicycle so he could go around with gospel tracts and preach. That was everything he could believe for. When he heard about the power of faith, he, he used every ounce of faith he had to believe God for that bicycle. But years later, armored trucks left his church with the finances that would pour in without ever, they never passed the plate in his church. It's the most unusual thing I ever saw. They never passed a plate for an offering. They had all around the walls that looked like mailboxes. And every family had a slot. Every committed member of the church had a slot. And they were so diligent and so committed to paying their tithe and to, you know, honoring the Lord with their first fruits that they would leave their money in the slot every week. And when they went and collected it, if there was any slot empty, they knew the family was in trouble. They knew the family needed ministry because they, had, they were so faithful that if some, for some reason, you know, with thousands upon thousands of people at your church, you didn't always know if somebody needed help, you know. But they would know if their, if their money wasn't in the slot, they were that committed. But all those years later, armored trucks coming to that church to pick up the money that the boy that lived in a cardboard box... You just don't know how important it is that you step into that impossible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. He says this, you can't create your own dream, Rick Renner, or choose your own dream because it comes from God, but you can choose to let it live and let it thrive. You can choose to pick it up and run with it. Don't limit God. Wade out into the waters over your head and God will be there. You know, Psalm 78, verse 41, speaking of the children of Israel, says they, they forgot. They, they, they forgot to remember the things that God had done for them. You know, the, the longer you live and the more years you walk with him, the more you realize that as you face challenging things, that, that you can rehearse and remember God's faithfulness. It's so much easier. You know, we, we all think, oh, it's hard to get older. But, oh, the wonderful part about getting older is you have such a track record. You have such a track record of his faithfulness. 
And yet the children of Israel forgot. They forgot things like water out of a rock, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, in our heads we think, how could anybody forget the parting of the Red Sea? And yet, have you ever forgotten something really significant God did for you? When you're in the midst of a challenge and you just totally forgot and somebody had to remind you, well, God did this for you, and you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, the next week after the sanctuary was paid off, my husband came downstairs, and he's like, wow, we got a lot of bills this week. You know? I said, yeah, but last week, God paid off the sanctuary. But the bills didn't go anywhere. You know, we still had bills to pay. But we're like, if God can be faithful, let's just take them to him. This is his house. He's paid it off now, but now he has bills. So we just lifted him up before the Lord and just thanked him again that he takes care of his bills and pay it off. Amen? But we forget. And he said when they forgot, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And we think, oh, well, God's sovereign. He's obeying. You know, you can't stop God. You can't stop his plan. Yes, you can. And you're the only one who can by choosing not to believe, by choosing not to obey, by choosing not to step out in faith and do what he's asking of you to do. Once you see it, you begin to say it. Take the words God has given you and give them back to God. Timothy assured us that with the prophetic word, we wage warfare. I can't tell you how many times I've said that simple promise from God. We'll have seven years of plenty, seven years to pay off the sanctuary, seven years and two more years to take care of all the updates on the sanctuary, and we're going to live our 70s in plenty because this is the year it's paid off, two more years, and we'll have all the updates done, and then I turn 70 and I'll be ready to live in plenty. Amen? Because I'm agreeing with God's Word. I'm agreeing. With, this is not something I made up. This is not a clever cliche. I'm just saying what God says, and if you'll listen, He will speak to you. He says you hear His voice. He said the world doesn't recognize this voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks. They don't know Him, but you do. And you recognize His voice because you're a sheep. And you hear the voice of your good shepherd. And if you haven't heard, get quiet. Maybe he's trying to speak to you, but you just haven't stopped long enough to listen. So many times in my life, I said, I just am not hearing from God. I'm not hearing from God. And the Lord would say, well, could you just sit still for a few minutes so I can speak to you? I mean, he'll use anything. He'll speak to you in any way. I've had him speak to me from billboards on the highway, but he prefers to speak to you in your spirit and confirm with his word. I believe that about God. He'll speak in any way he has to. But he would prefer to have you get quiet and listen and then confirm to you out of the mouth of two or three witnesses in this Bible, coming to church and hearing, you know, in your daily reading and in your prayer times, just hearing his voice repeated over and over again. So I remember thinking to myself, God, I've put all these years, all this energy, all this time, I mean, we laid down our ministry in 1981 so that we can do daily television with Vicky into New England. We, you know, sold the motorhome we were traveling in and, and just volunteered our time in daily television without any income. Lord, when he asked us to go to Fort Worth, you know, we just laid down our ministry and we worked with Bob Nichols to, to support his vision and the church there. And, you know, just over and over again through the years, you know, so we didn't even know what it meant to save for retirement. We didn't even know those terminologies. We, we, they, they told us when we were 25, you can opt out of Social Security, you know. We can? Oh, great, let's do that. We won't need that. Jesus is coming. 
So we didn't, we didn't even, we weren't smart enough to know how to do all that stuff, but we were smart enough to sow our seed. And anytime, if we had a thousand bucks, we thought, okay, God, well, whose vision is this supposed to go to? You know, if somehow we had money in our hand, we thought it must be for something because we've got our groceries and we've got food and we paid the mortgage, you know, we've got the seed. So we sowed seed all of our lives. We did that. One day I was just saying to the Lord, Lord, why did it take so long? I mean, we, when we were 35, we had all this energy. Now we're, you know, in just late 60s, and you've got us doing this place of prayer. And he said, you didn't have the seed in the ground when you were 30. You hadn't laid down your life to help somebody else fulfill their vision. You hadn't sown. Because now, in this season, we're living entirely by harvest. There's no other, no other source of supply except the harvest and God. Obviously, God's blessing on our life. I'm so glad that we sowed our seed. I'm so glad that we gave ourselves for others. I'm so glad that we laid things down to help other people with their vision because now it requires people to help us with ours. And because we sowed those seeds, we've got a harvest, a blessing coming to us. I just say, oh, God, I want to inspire people to live out your dream for them. I don't know how anybody can decide. I don't think you decide what God has to do with your life. I think you discover it. He's already got a plan. You don't have to come up with a plan. What can I do with my life? How can I serve God? He's got the plan. It's not always our plan, is it, Mary Jean? We've had our plans, and yet God kept us in his plan. Just because we were yielding to him, saying, God, I want your will more than I want my own. I want to do what you want me to do more than I want to do. I've always been an idea person. I've always been a visionary. But I didn't always think I'd be doing this. I wanted to do other things. But I wanted to obey God more. And now that I look back, I think, God, I'm not there yet. But I will be fully satisfied in obedience to your work that we've done here on the earth. I will be fully satisfied to have obeyed you. There isn't anything I would rather do. I love what I do right now. I actually have people come to my house. They say, Barbara, you have people here praying all the time? That sounds like hell to me. Well, these are my Christian friends. I said, it may to you, but not to me. I love what we do. And God will give you, it's not going to ask you to go eat ants in Africa. If you hate travel and you hate heat, he's going to give you something that you love to do, that you were made to do, that the very fabric of your being, that you were packed to do. He packs you like a suitcase with all the stuff in you that you need to do what he's called you to do. And you'll love what God has you doing, even though you get to do all this stuff to do the things you love. When my boys were little, I didn't like to have to haul, do all that laundry and do all the cleaning up after them, but I love them. I can remember sometimes getting agitated and thinking, now, boys, I'd come back in town for meetings and there'd be underwear and socks laying around. And I think, just where do I need to put this basket so that you boys can get a slam dunk and not just drop things all over? But when I was filled with the power of God and, you know, filled with the Spirit of God, I never minded picking up socks or underwear. Just have to stay full of the Holy Ghost, don't we? We have to stay full. And there's no excuse because you don't have to wait for any Sunday meeting going on or women's meeting on a Saturday to stay full of the Holy Ghost. You can just 
build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. And then Jude says, on some, you'll make a difference. Mary Jean, we might have been able to call in a thousand people in here today, and you might not have made a difference on all their lives. But on some, you've made a difference. And all of us are going to have those some. On some, by you choosing to obey God, you're going to make a difference. Mary Jean asked me to give this back to her for a moment. And then I want to pray for you that are carrying dreams in your heart. You have something stirring on the inside. I just want to release my faith because I'm walking and I'm living in my dream. And I want to release you to fulfill and live your dreams here. Amen.